in a series called NUMA, Life in the Spirit, and we're actually concluding that series today. I will be teaching next Sunday, but it'll be a little bit of a more of a, an abbreviated <laughs> devotion um, because we are shortening our service times to allow for some fellowship between. And uh, so this is the last of this series. And next week, I just felt the Lord wants me to unpack a few things that I'm encouraging you to do as being your pastor over the past 12 years, some things I feel like he would want me to say. Uh, so that'll be next week. But we're going to put a close on this one. Uh, how many of you love it when you have a power outage at your home? Not, there's no takers on the loving the power outage. No one's like, yes, the power's out. Finally, we can do what we want to do, right? Not, not many. Why? Because we've grown accustomed to power. I mean, what did we do before we had electric power? How did we make toast before we had electric power? How did we make microwave popcorn before we had electric power? How did we curl our hair? Well, for those of you that do that. Uh, how did we wash our clothes? How did we build a house without power tools? How did we do the things? Isn't it interesting how power has really brought a, uh, a source of simplifying some things? It's come alongside our labors and has made some things a lot easier. We have become a people who are absolutely dependent on electric power. In fact, I can't even go camping without electric power. Camping, right? That's when you're supposed to get away from stuff, and you're supposed to live like the rugged outdoors, and you're supposed to be like the Waltons or whoever, not the Waltons, the little house in the prairie. What's their family's name? The, the Ingalls, right? Is that their name? But yet, even when we're camping, I have to have power. There are people who tent camp, and they still pay more money to get the sites that have electrical power, and they're tent camping. Why? Because we've become people so dependent on power to get us through our day. I mean, just imagine tomorrow morning coming and you had no power. I've had a few times when there's been multiple days of no power. Some of you might remember when those kind of days have come, when you had no power for a couple of days. It messes up your world. Some of you still walk to the TV, grab the remote, and pretend like you're going to actually turn the thing on when there's no power because you've just become so used to the fact it's always there. Okay? We're dependent upon electric power. Now, why am I sharing this with you? Because I believe that as, in the same manner we are so accustomed to and dependent upon electric power. As Christians, we should be the kind of people who are absolutely dependent upon and cannot even think about living out our Christian faith without the power that God has given us to live a life for him. We can't even believe or begin to believe the commands that Jesus has given us that we could actually do in our own human strength or our own human ability. If we think that, then we are sorely, sorely wrong. In fact, when we look at the Bible in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we recognize there was a power at work in everything God wanted to accomplish. So today, I want to talk about our power our power, and how we have been given a power to live the way that God would have us to live. So to kind of back up a little bit, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit. This was a promise that was given from Jesus. And what's interesting is that Jesus, after his death and resurrection, he actually forbid his disciples, his now they're called apostles, to do anything until they have been clothed with power. 
You might recall, after Jesus' death and resurrection, he made several appearances to his followers over a period of about 40 days. And on one of those appearances, we find it in Luke chapter 24, verse 49. And by the way, Luke wrote Luke and Acts. And so we're going to look at two passages that probably happened around the same time. But in Luke, it says, Jesus is saying, I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've received or been clothed with power from on high. So Jerusalem is not their home city. Remember, they're from Galilee. Uh, They kind of based their ministry out of Capernaum. But he says, don't even leave this area. Is it because the Holy Spirit's only going to fall in one specific location? No, he's just saying, don't even start to do anything until you have been clothed. This is how critical Jesus saw the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. So Acts chapter 1, again, written by Luke, probably the same event. Chapter uh, 1, verse 4 says, On one occasion... While he, that would be Jesus, was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem. So this was happening in Jerusalem when Jesus gave him this command. But wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So we see Jesus basically saying to them, don't even think about the next step until you've been clothed with power from on high. So what I believe, and this is what we're going to talk about today, is this. The Holy Spirit gives us the power that we need to obey Christ and carry out his mission. Okay, We've talked about how the Holy Spirit is our guide, how the Holy Spirit is our helper. We've talked about how the Holy Spirit um, is in us today, dwelling within us, the same Holy Spirit that was with Jesus in his ministry is the same Holy Spirit that is inside of us. We've been talking about how it's absolutely true that as Christians, we should be the kind of people who are completely dependent upon and surrender to the Holy Spirit. And that's what Jesus is making a case for here. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Peter says these words. Now, remember Peter? Remember him, right? He was a follower of Jesus, one of the three that was closest to Jesus, Um, And it was Peter, even in his closeness to Jesus, who the the day that Jesus was arrested, Peter denied that he even knew Jesus. Okay, so we see the lack of courage. We see um, kind of that wishy-washy Peter, right? But then Pentecost comes. They have Pentecost. The Holy Spirit falls on those gathered in the upper room, including Peter. And in Acts 2, we see Peter, who was the one who wouldn't even confess that he knew Jesus, now standing and declaring who Jesus is, why he has come, and under the power of the Holy Spirit speaks with courage to the point where 3,000 people get saved and added to the church that day. That's why the power of the Holy Spirit was so critical that Jesus was talking about. So Peter later writes a letter to Christians, and in his letter he says this. He says that his divine power which is what? Basically the Holy Spirit, right? His divine power has given us, and notice these words, everything we need. Everything we need for what? For a godly life. I would guess that probably all of you in this room, hopefully, want to live a godly life. Okay, how do we do that? According to what Peter discovered, the power divine power, he calls it, the power of the Holy Spirit, will give us everything we need to live a godly life. 
And it goes on from there to, to basically uh, say, uh, through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So the Holy Spirit is our power who helps us to live a godly life through knowing Jesus better, through, through, through obviously now for us, Scripture, Scripture reading, to know what that means to live a godly life, but then the ability within to do that. So how practically does the Holy Spirit help us do that? I mean, it sounds great, Kelly, but what does that look like? What, what does the Holy Spirit do? Well, we're going to get there. But before we get to that point, I just want to caution here for a minute, because when we talk about power, we can tend to think about the Holy Spirit like we think about electricity. And so we can have this sense that the Holy Spirit is nothing more than a force, okay? So let me just remind you, the Holy Spirit is not just some kind of an energy field or force, all right? When we talk about the Holy Spirit, remember that the Holy Spirit is God, And again, I know the Trinity is confusing. It's hard for us as humans to really grasp this. But God has revealed himself to us as one God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All three with personal attributes. All three fully relatable. All three at work throughout Scripture. We see God the Father very active in the Old Testament. We see the Holy Spirit working through prophets, uh, working through kings, We see the activity of the Holy Spirit. We see God the Son very active in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, right? Because that's why he came, to be our Savior. And then we see God the Holy Spirit completely active in the ministry of Jesus and then through the birth of the church throughout the rest of the New Testament. So we see the value, but the Holy Spirit is not a force. It's not like what some of your friends might believe, that there's some kind of a cosmic, universal energy. You probably have some friends who believe in some sense of cosmic energy, and they believe in channeling that energy, and they have crystals, and they have things they do that helps channel the energy. That is not what the Holy Spirit is, okay? You don't need a gimmick to experience the power of the Holy Spirit, because he is not like electric energy. He is a person. He's relatable, and here's the good news. As Christians, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you to give you the power, the strength, the ability to do everything that we need to live a godly life. So let me just build a case here because the apostles who experienced that themselves knew how critically important, because Jesus said, don't even do anything until you've been clothed. So they get clothed by the power of the Holy Spirit and things begin to happen. The church explodes with growth. The gospel is being advanced and they realize how critically important the work of the Holy Spirit is. Now, I want, you to sh- I want to just take a minute here to show you that with a couple of passages out of Acts that are, that are important for us to see. Because some Christians might think, well, isn't the Bible enough? Isn't knowing about Jesus enough for me to live a godly life? And I want to show you how serious the apostles were. Now, one of those is a story about a guy named Philip. Now, Philip wasn't one of the apostles. Philip was an evangelist. And you might recall Philip's story. He was the one that ministered to the Ethiopian eunuch, the man who worked for the queen of Ethiopia. As he was traveling back home in a chariot, the Spirit of God told Philip, go run alongside that chariot. And he leads that man to Jesus. And he's baptized in water. And it's a wonderful event. Well, Philip continues his ministry in Samaria. Now, Samaria is kind of a dark region. Uh, Samaritans were half-breed Jewish people. They tended to worship other gods. Um, And in this case, 
Philip's ministering in, in, in an area called Samaria, and there's a guy named Simon. I want you to watch his story. So Acts chapter 8, verse 9 and following. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. So you get the idea they're into witchcraft, they're into to some dark um, work. He, being Simon, boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. So here's Simon, this sorcerer, who people are saying he is the great power of God. Well, until the true power of God shows up, right? So, but he's believed to be this force to be reckoned with. Now, it says they followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. Verse 12, but when they believed Philip, so Philip had come and preached Jesus, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed, so he saw a power greater than his own that he had been conjuring up, either through the demonic realm or just by being a sleight-of-hand kind of guy. He uh, believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. So the great power, as it were, of Samaria saw a power greater than his, but we're not done. Acts 8.14, when the apostles in Jerusalem, so this is Philip ministering in Samaria, but when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. So the apostles now are going to see and validate the ministry that was happening there. And when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might, and notice the words, receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they had been saved. They believed the gospel message. But the Holy Spirit is still a very new work that's been happening. And what we see is that it begins to be moving through the ministry of the apostles. So verse 17, then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw, so notice that word saw, he saw something. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. And said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. I want to pause there because I think it's interesting. Something obviously happened. When the Holy Spirit entered the lives of those believers, something happened. Now, what some scholars would say is that what happened was the same thing that happened on the day of Pentecost. So the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell. Nobody was laying hands on anybody, but the Holy Spirit fell and the disciples began to speak in a language they did not learn, but was understood by the crowds of those who gathered. They were proclaiming the good news of Christ through a language they didn't know. So some might say that's what Simon saw when the hands were laid on these Samaritans that they began to speak in an unknown language. It doesn't say that. It could also be there was a dramatic change in their life because some of you remember when you came and you believed Christ as your Savior and you wanted to follow him, you knew something within you changed. I've prayed with people and saw something actually physically about them change to the point where their countenance had been lifted and their eyes looked 
like they were lit up and they were not lit up in a bad way. And they, they looked like they were experienced. And I would ask them, what's going on? They would say, I, I don't know. I just feel so alive. I feel so new. Who knows what look? But here's what I know, friends. If we as Christians believe the Holy Spirit dwells in us, then there should be a difference in our life. There should be a life change. That's why the apostles were absolutely determined that people would have the power of the Holy Spirit at work in their life. Salvation in Christ, beautiful, wonderful truth. But they knew without the completing work of the Holy Spirit, all that would be is an understanding of a good guy named Jesus, but that would not be applied to their own lives in a life-changing way. I don't have time to go into it, but in your notes, I put also Acts chapter 19, where Paul was ministering, and he had gone into a region where folks, again, had heard about Jesus, but they had not yet received the Holy Spirit, so he prayed that they would receive the Holy Spirit. Um, because the apostles were determined, just like they personally experienced that power to follow and carry out Christ's mission, everybody would need it. So my point is, when we talk about the work of the Holy Spirit and what he does in our life, it's not for a select few. It's not for like the spiritual elite pastors or prophets or evangelists. This is something that is for every born-again follower of Jesus, that a life fully devoted to Christ is not possible without the power of the Holy Spirit. It's just not. You have no way to carry out the life-changing principles of what Jesus does in our life under your own strength. No more than in the same way that you could save yourself from your sin. You were powerless to do that. It took the death and resurrection of Jesus to do that. We can't live for Jesus without the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our life. So what does the Holy Spirit do? I'm going to give them to you quickly, and then we'll send you on out of here. But here's my point. I'm giving you kind of the really fast-track class on this. You need to take some time individually. Maybe go back over some of these verses and approach the Holy Spirit as a relatable member of the Godhead who dwells in you and begin to pray for his power to be at work in your life. Okay? So I'm going to give them to you quickly, but my hope is this will begin to bring some things to your attention that you can pay attention to in your personal walk with Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. So first of all, the Holy Spirit's already been at work in your life. In fact, the Holy Spirit's power brought about your conviction of sin. Jesus said that when he was talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit, when he was with his disciples those last moments before he was arrested, he said that when he, speaking of the Holy Spirit, when he comes... He will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin. In other words, he is going to bring conviction. The world's going to know this is wrong, right? So many of you, maybe you were sitting in a church setting when you felt a conviction of the Holy Spirit that moved you to say, I've got to be saved. I've got to respond to what the pastor is saying because something within me is compelling me to. That is the conviction of the Holy Spirit, bringing to attention your sin. Some of you, when you disobeyed God and you sinned, you have felt 
that conviction of the Holy Spirit that was prompting you to seek forgiveness and move back into sanctification. That is the work the Holy Spirit does. He will convict. That's why it's so important for you, friends, to be praying for your unsaved friends, unsaved loved ones, praying that the Holy Spirit's work of conviction will continue to do its effective work in their life. Because without the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't be sitting here today a follower of Jesus. That's a critical work. But secondly, the Holy Spirit power also brought about your conversion to Christ. In other words, that's how you got saved. Yes, Jesus died and rose again. He was our Savior. But the actual working in our bodies, in our lives, that salvation was a work of the Holy Spirit. And that's what Jesus said was going to happen in John chapter 3. He was meeting with a guy named Nicodemus. You probably recall the story. Uh, He uses that term born again, which has become kind of a standard Christian term that maybe confuses some people and maybe sounds just a little bit like weird, right? But this is the words of Jesus. John 3. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, he was talking to Nicodemus, that no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. In other words, there is a sense of the work of what God is doing that's only discernible by the work of the Spirit. Okay, that's why folks laugh at or mock true Christianity today, because they are not open to the truth of God by the work of the Spirit. But he goes on. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asks. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. A little sarcasm there. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. So what happens at your salvation, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within you, and your spirit within is renewed by the Holy Spirit who comes and dwells within us. The Bible tells us later, like I've already said countless times, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, that when we are saved, the Holy Spirit dwells in us, an evidence of God's work of salvation within us. Uh, Titus 3.5. Uh, Paul is writing to Titus, who was a pastor of a church in Cyprus. He says that he, God, saved us not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us, and here's how it happened. Through the washing of rebirth, that's what Jesus was just talking about in John 3, rebirth, and renewal by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit comes and renews us, renews us, brings us into a life of eternal life with Christ already now inside of our bodies. We are eternal beings with life. Jesus said, I have come, you may have life and have it abundantly. That's what's happening. So he was at work in your conversion, but now it doesn't stop there. The Holy Spirit's work isn't just to get you saved, all right? Next one, the Holy Spirit gives us power to live a sanctified life. Now, maybe that word sanctified sounds too bible for you or too churchy. What sanctified basically means is set apart. Set apart. In the Old Testament, we see things that were committed to, sanctified to, or dedicated to God. They were set apart from common items for his purpose. As Christians, we are called to be a set-apart people, to be in the world, but not of the world right? So we're set apart. That's a work that only the Holy Spirit can do. Peter says it this way, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, he's, he's uh, in his opening part as he's greeting the Christians, he's writing. 
He says, you have been chosen according to the knowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. So we see the Spirit is at work to sanctify us. Why? To be obedient to Jesus Christ. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. But we ought always thank God for you, brothers. This is Paul now and sisters, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as his first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. Now, sanctification is one of those things that's maybe a little bit misunderstood. And there's, in essence, two works of sanctification, all right? One of those is what we just heard about. At our salvation, we are sanctified. We are made right and set apart for God at our salvation. But that's just one phase of sanctification. So we are sanctified. We are justified before God. But there's also a phase of sanctification that is living daily in obedience to God. And that sanctification might look like a roller coaster. You have good days when you feel like you're in a good place honoring God. You might have days where it's like, it's not so good, all right? And that's the work of working out your salvation. In fact, it says it this way in Philippians 2. Paul says this, uh, verse 12, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue, and here's that word, to work out your salvation. But time out, I thought I was saved because of Jesus, not because of works. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying you have to work out your own salvation. He is saying, live it out. Live out your salvation with fear and trembling. And notice what he says, verse 13. For, so in order for you to do that, for it is God who works in you. Well, how does God work in you? By the divine power that comes from the Holy Spirit at work within you. For it's God who works in you. And notice what the Holy Spirit will do in you, to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. So the Holy Spirit, willing and acting, those are human characteristics. That's not a force, right? He's helping us to yield our will to the will of God because the Holy Spirit will always guide us into the will of God. To will and to act, that means we can have it here, the Holy Spirit will help us not only do that, but then to actually do, to carry out, the act in alignment with God's good pleasure. So, we are sanctified, set apart by the work of the Holy Spirit working within us. Look at what he says in Ephesians 3.16. I know this is a lot of verses, but I wanted to make sure I'm backing all this with Scripture. Paul says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being. So just notice those, all those prepositions. Strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being. Friends, he couldn't get any more specific. The Holy Spirit was at work in Paul. He's at work in us, in our inner being. The Bible expects that because God dwells in us by the Spirit, we can, by that same Spirit, become more Christ-like. That means we should be changing. Something about us should be different. In fact, the Bible says that when we are saved, we are new creations. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. But what we need to get more focused on is actually obeying that. Because the world continues to see Christians acting no different than the world. 
and they wonder what's going on. I thought Christians followed God and believed the Bible. I thought they lived a different kind of life. We're supposed to. We're supposed to be like Christ. Which brings us to the next point. The Holy Spirit gives us power then to overcome temptation and sin. Every day you're going to be tempted. I'm going to be tempted. Every day we are tempted. Jesus was tempted. Okay? The Holy Spirit was with Jesus when he was tempted. So we're all going to face temptation, but the work of the Holy Spirit is actually to give us the power to overcome temptation and then sin. We're all going to face temptation. That is not sin, but not all of us are victorious in the face of temptation. Many of us yield. The Holy Spirit will enable us to put to death the flesh, is what the Bible says. Now, that sounds kind of crazy sounding, but basically what he's saying is we're dying to that sinful nature that beckons us to keep disobeying God and living how we want to. Romans chapter 8, Paul says in verse 9, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh. In other words, you're not controlled by that realm any longer, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. Verse 6 of Romans 6, for we know that our old self, that means the pre-salvation, we know that our old self was crucified with him, How is that possible? I'm living today. How would my old self today be crucified with Jesus nearly 2,000 years ago? I mean, how would that? Because the whole point here is that sinful nature that Jesus took upon himself on the cross and died for, died with him that day. The power of sin died. So we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Here's the good news. You're not a slave. You're not a slave to your sin. Yes, you're going to have desires, temptations that come from within. The good news is, as followers of Christ, you're not a slave to that. Go on in verse 11 of chapter 6 of Romans. In the same way, count yourselves or consider or reckon yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. So in other words, it, it's going to try. It's going to try to reign. It's going to try to tell you, you got to do what feels good. You got you to do whatever you want. It's going to tell you that. But don't let it reign so that you obey its evil desires. For sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under law but under grace. So we put to death the works of the flesh by believing that our old self was indeed crucified with Jesus, and then we choose to walk under the guidance and the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit within us, that we can say no to sin. Some Christians just need to hear that. You don't have to do what your body says. You don't. You have mastery by the power of the Holy Spirit over sin. Now, doing it is the whole other thing, all right? Obedience to the work of the Spirit is the big issue. And the Holy Spirit also gives us power to pray. So power to overcome temptation and sin, but also power to pray. Some of you, you know your prayer, your prayer life is, is weak. Some of you know that basically it's prayer for food, and that's about as far as you get each day. And you wish you could do more, you want to do more, but you just feel powerless when it comes to prayer. So guess what? We have a helper who's going to help us in our weakened condition to pray. So what is prayer? Prayer is meant to be a two-way interaction with God. It's not meant to be a downloading of my wants and needs. It's not a ticker list of all my junk going on right now. It's meant to be relational, right? That's what Jesus demonstrated for us when he said, 
our Father. He was teaching his disciples. This is a relationship, a family. You speak to the Father because he cares, and he will speak to you. So prayer is relationship. But look at what um, Paul says in Romans 8 about how uh, Paul basically promised the Spirit would help us as we prayed. Romans 8, 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. As he, and he who searches our hearts, so the Holy Spirit who knows us, knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. That's why later Paul would also say this in Ephesians 6, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Well, Kelly, what does it mean to pray in the Spirit? There's, there's different things I want to share under this because I think it's more than just one thing. Praying in the Spirit means praying according to the Spirit. And so many of us today have a Bible. Hopefully you read it. The Bible will show you things you should be praying for in line of God's will, but the Holy Spirit will also guide you to pray. I have felt prompted by the Spirit to pray for somebody or to pray for something. The Holy Spirit's brought some things to my imagination, well, my mind, I should say, to pray about. But also because I still believe that the Holy Spirit's at work in my life individually, praying in the Spirit can also mean that experience that some of you had when the Holy Spirit touched your life in a very profound way, and like the early disciples, you began to pray in a language you didn't know. They call that a baptism with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And some of you are like looking at me sideways because just like I thought that was like witchcraft. No. Um, this is in the book of Acts. You can read it throughout there. And Paul specifically says, I wish you all prayed in tongues as much as I do. He himself believed in this prayer practice. Okay? And if it seems confusing to you, I just tell you to bring it back to the Lord and say, Lord, reveal some things to me about this. But pray in the Spirit. Because I know that when I don't know what to say, I will pray in the Spirit at times, and I will pray in line with God's will. I may not know exactly what is going on, but I believe the will of God is being accomplished through a willing vessel to pray according or in the Spirit. So the Spirit will help us to pray. And the Holy Spirit will also help you to serve, to serve the church, to serve his mission. Um, in the Bible, especially the Old Testament, we also see it in the New Testament, it says that the Holy Spirit filled so-and-so and they. In other words, the Holy Spirit would fill somebody and it would lead to an action. There is no such thing as being inactive when the Spirit of God is dwelling in you because the Holy Spirit will always bring you into action, will always bring you to do something. In the Old Testament, it was to give a word of prophecy. The prophets would utter supernatural strength. It would be um, a time of vision or a dream. The Holy Spirit would give them, and then they would do something. It was leading to action. Well, today, the same applies to us. We are people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. And what did the apostles do in the book of Acts? They preached the good news. The church began to grow. And as churches grew, they needed people to serve the church. And so what Paul began to bring instruction to in 1 Corinthians is how the Holy Spirit gives gifts to people within the church to help serve its purposes. Now, I will go into this deeper. Well, I, I won't. I used to go into this deeper in the Find Your Place class that some of you went through. Um, that class, I'm sure, will probably continue in some fashion where you can learn about the different ways the Holy Spirit gifts people within his church to serve the mission of Christ. 
But in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, Paul says there are different kinds of gifts. So we're not all the same, but the same Spirit distributes them. So who gives the gifts? The Spirit does. He enables us, empowers us to serve the church. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. Different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. In other words, if you're part of the body of Christ, the Holy Spirit has given you a gift to help serve, to help empower you to serve the church. Are you doing it? Or are you sitting on it? Are you relying on that power to be a part of God's ministry in the church, in his purpose for what he's doing in our world today, or are you not? See, we've all been given something. I, as a pastor, believe my gifting was to be a pastor. That is a gift in Ephesians that the Holy Spirit gives to help lead the church. But we can't all be pastors. So he uses the illustration of how the church is like a body. And every part of the body has an important job to play. And you, the same way, are a part of the body. And the Holy Spirit gives you something to do. He wraps up in 1 Corinthians 12, 11. All of these are the work of the one and same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So the work of the Spirit through the church helps us to accomplish his purpose. We each got to do a part. Here's an example. I've got a, a cool little tube here that does really something cool, but I need helpers to make it do what it does really cool. All right? So I need, you want to help me? I'm not going to do anything weird, do you? You got to help me. You want to help me? Yeah. So what we're going to do, and can you, you want to help me for a second too? Yep, just pop right up here. This is not, nothing crazy, all right? What we're going to do is I'm going to hold this, okay? And then I'm going to hold your hand, and you're going to hold his hand, and you're going to hold his hand, and then you're going to hold the end of this in when I tell you to. Uh, because what you'll discover is there is something that happens when people band together around a common mission. So go ahead and now touch it. Oh, that's cool. See, it lights up and makes a little noise. Why? Because our body is conducting, we don't feel it, but our body is conducting electricity even now. Your body has that in it. So I start it, and then the circuit goes all the way through. Now, if you guys let go of hands, and now you try it again, it's just not going to work. You guys join hands again. See? When we all come together, thank you guys can have a seat. When we all pull together, when we all work together, the Holy Spirit works through each of us, and there is a conduit. See, the point is we're meant to be a conduit, a working through what the Spirit wants to do within the church. But if at any point there's a breakdown where somebody says, well, I'm not needed, and there's a disconnect, and I believe God cannot fully do by the Spirit what he wants to do within his church. And so he gifts us not to sit back and say, well, look at me, look how important I am. No, it's so that we can serve together and accomplish the mission once once to do, but he works through the church, and we all work together as each part finds its place. And then finally, and I'm done, I promise, the Holy Spirit gives us power to witness for Christ. If you were to look at the announcing of the coming of the Holy Spirit, you would see that it was the given by Jesus that when the Holy Spirit comes and empowers you, you will talk about me. It was like it was a, it was a given, right? So Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus said to his disciples, but, when, but you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, this is interesting because we look at it and go, these are just geographical locations. I'm not even sure where these are. Well, let me explain what's going on. Again, Jerusalem is not the hometown of the disciples, and it's going to be the hardest place to proclaim the gospel because this is the heart of the Jewish faith. That's where the Sanhedrin, who basically put their vote in to kill Jesus, that's where they are. And they're going to start there, yeah, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, he will testify for me. And Peter does. They have Pentecost. 3,000 get saved. You start reading the book of Acts, you're going to notice what happens quickly when the Holy Spirit has empowered men who took seriously the mandate to proclaim the gospel that the church began to explode with growth to the point where it overturned the Roman Empire. Friends, how'd that happen? Because individual believers in Jesus saw their responsibility to make Jesus known wherever they went. They took it with them. And so we see Paul, yes, proclaiming the gospel as a first missionary, but Peter was doing the same. Other apostles were doing the same. Others who got saved, like Philip, we don't even really know much about him, but he's also out there proclaiming the good news, and people are getting saved. There's a guy named Apollos. We don't know much about him. He's a good communicator. He's also doing it, but those are just a few mentioned by name in Scripture. The truth is, everybody proclaimed Christ wherever they went. 1 Timothy 1.7 reminds us of the strength we have. For the Spirit of God, the Spirit that God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, which we need so desperately to be, in a, to be a good witness of Christ, and, and self-discipline or a sound mind. Well, when we talk about the power of the Holy Spirit, again, it was given that we were being equipped to do something. Some of you might think, well, I just don't feel like the power of the Holy Spirit's working within me. It is a power to do something. As I began saying, the Holy Spirit came upon people and something happened. He fills and uses people who are being a conduit of what God wants to do. But if you're a reservoir and you're just hanging on to it and bless me and I go to church and that's all I do, then friends, you're not fully engaging in the activities for which God wants to empower you. To live a righteous life, yes, but not just that. To testify to who he is. I said, but Kelly, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Well, maybe you're right. The church is gifted by certain people who are given a gift of evangelism. But you know what? That wasn't meant to negate the responsibility Christians have to be a witness. You might say, well, you know, with my good life, I'm just going to witness with my good life. People are going to see the way I live, and they're going to know I'm, I'm following Jesus. I, I really wish that was true. And, and I know we base it loosely on St. Francis of Assisi, who says, preach the gospel when necessary, use words. And I understand what he's saying, because too many Christians don't actually back up what they believe with their actions, so I get it. But how can you preach the gospel of Christ's finished work without using words? How are folks going to look at you and go, oh, you must be a follower of that Jesus who actually died on a cross and rose again for my sins? I mean, they're not going to see that. They have to hear it. To assume folks will know who Jesus is by looking at you is the same as saying, tell me your phone number, and if necessary, use digits. I mean, 
Come on. To get a phone number, you need digits. For somebody to know Jesus, they need your testimony. But I don't have much of a testimony. Yeah, you do. You have a story of what Jesus has done for you. And here's what I last saw in Scripture. Jesus said, oh, and by the way, when you're called to give an account of me, the Holy Spirit's going to help you. He'll bring things to your mind that you could share. And I, and I found that to be true for me, friends. See, devotion to the mission of Jesus and the fullness with the Spirit always go hand in hand. You want to experience the power of the Holy Spirit, that's great, but you have to live a life of obedience and on mission for Jesus. He empowers those who are doing his command. The Holy Spirit gives us the power we need to obey Christ and carry out his mission. Why do we need it? To obey Christ, carry out his mission. And a lot of us have lived as though we don't really need that power. And it would be as foolish as saying that today I don't need electric power. I'm fine without it, thank you very much. No, we can't hardly do anything without it. The same should be true of us and what God wants to do through your life, if not for this power. Let's pray. Lord, today we maybe have gone far too long without trusting in the power that you've given us by the Holy Spirit to live a life that honors you. And because of that, there are some that are continuing to wrestle with their own sin and struggle in that. Because the sinful nature doesn't go away. I wish it was completely gone, but the Holy Spirit instead gives us the power to put that to death, to recognize I don't have to do that. I'm not a slave to my impulses. I'm not an animal. I have the controlling work of the Holy Spirit within me. But for others, maybe they've just not felt that because they've not been willing to step out in faith to serve you. You empower those who are obedient to your call. You empower those to live a life you're calling them to live. So, Lord, remind us of that. And this week, maybe as we spend time reading your word or praying, I just pray we would take a moment and invite the power of the Holy Spirit to be at work in our lives, to invite the activity of the Spirit of God within us to convict us where needed, to convert us, to empower us as we pray, to invite the Spirit to fill us in a, in a new way, perhaps. That's all things that happen out of relationship. So help us to remember, Holy Spirit, you're relatable. But you will always lead us into obeying Christ and carrying out his mission. So help us to live a life of the Spirit empowered by the Spirit. In Jesus' name.